Hello, and welcome to the Has Media Podcast, where I invite on interesting guests, and I pick things that are interesting about them, and I ask them to talk about it. So information that isn't public knowledge. So people that would have a lot of specific information, for example, politicians who've been in the game 10, 20, 30 years, or professors who've, who are experts in a certain topic, or business people or artists or whatever, people who are experts in their field, and I try and extract the, what they know about, about anything really, about what, what the areas where they're experts. I also try and find points where I admire them. You know, they could have a great relationship with their family. They could be very successful in their career. And I try and tease out, you know, what are they doing? What are they doing? And very importantly, what are they not doing that makes them so successful? So that's pretty much the point of this podcast. And it's also, I think, quite interesting. This episode is sponsored by the Has Media YouTube channel, where I try and answer very specific questions, questions that cannot be answered with one viewpoint, which is all you're getting with a podcast, questions that can't be truly answered and understood without the use of graphs and pictures and video animations. So that's what our YouTube channel is, and it includes videos such as why insurance is so expensive in Ireland causes of our property bubble in 2008 and 2009 so if that interests you check us out on youtube as media in this episode i sat down with michael mcgrath michael mcgrath is a td from cork and a very popular td at that even if he wasn't a td he'd still be popular he got first elected as a td in 2007 and has been re-elected in every election since even though his party fianna fall were decimated at the 2011 elections he held on to his seat uh, it's no surprise. He, if he wasn't a TD, he'd still be one of those people that is, you know, a GA trainer, helping out tidy towns, all while raising seven kids. Yeah, this man has seven kids. So I asked this man, how the frick did he do it? And try to get a bit of political knowledge, as much as you could get out of half an hour. While I'm here, fair play, Mike, for finding half an hour to sit down with me on my podcast. Like, where the hell is he getting this time? So, without further ado, let's buckle up and enjoy the podcast. Thanks a million for joining us. So, I suppose... No problem at all, Harry. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Looking forward to having the chat. Not at all, not at all. And so, we'll start at the very start. So, I know that your father was somewhat interested in current affairs and there was always a newspaper around the house and you were up to date in it, but your mother and father were never involved in politics and you didn't go directly into politics. You went into the private sector first. You're as a chartered accountant in KPMG. What sort of, sort of led you to getting involved in politics? That's a really good question, Harry. And it's one uh, I often do uh, reflect back on. And I think it's fair to say when I was young, in school, one of my favourite subjects would have been history. I was fascinated by Irish history in particular, and especially around all of the events that we're now um, commemorating the, the centenary of and will be for the next number of years. So from the time of the, the rising right through to, of course, the War of Independence and and the, the treaty and the civil war, the establishment of the Irish state and all of the issues around that was a fascinating period in our history. And I, I really... Um, enjoyed learning about that. And then in, in our own local community where I grew up in Passage West, um, I just took an interest in what was going on around me. I observed 
the very active public representatives that were in the area. And uh, I liked what I saw and I liked the kind of work that they were involved in. And as you said in your question, in, in, in the home where I grew up, you know, my parents weren't highly uh, educated by any means, but uh, they did take an interest in current affairs and the news would have been part of the, the staple diet and newspapers would have been in the house. And there was, there was a, an encouragement given uh, to just uh, lift your head, look around you, get a sense of what was going on in the world, what was going on in your own community and, uh, and to, to get involved where possible. So I think that that probably is the genesis for me, really. And uh, as I went on then through school and then through my time in college, I became more and more aware of the world around me and more aware of the, just how, uh, how engaging and how interesting uh, public life had the potential to be and uh, I think it was probably in my my early 20s I made the decision that I I, I wanted to go down the political road and, and see how far it took me. Okay and your interest in history you didn't study history if I'm correct you studied commerce so where were you learning about history? So that would have been in school uh, so I studied history as uh, a leaving cert subject I had an outstanding history teacher who uh, definitely gave me uh, a love of the subject and of Irish history in particular. And just, it got me to ask myself a lot of questions about Ireland and, you know, that Ireland, uh, as we have come to know it, is a relatively modern state. You know, it doesn't have a long history as an independent state. And I just found that period of our history fascinating. So it would have been in my time in school that I took a, a particular interest in, in history and um, uh, it would have been one of my one of my better subjects. And is there recently anything you've read or documentaries you've watched that you, you recommend for people who are also interested in Irish history? Yeah, I mean, I think that the uh, you know the Atlas of the uh, of the, the Great Famine, for example, is uh, is an incredible piece of work. And I, I think for anyone interested in Irish history, it is uh, something that uh, that should be taken in. And, um, and you can't say enjoyed because of the, the tragedy that it marks and the story that it tells, but it is uh, an indelible part of Irish history and I think shaped much of what was to follow in the decades subsequent to it. So I think that's certainly one piece of work. Um, and uh, unfortunately, given the intensity of the job I have, I don't really uh, have the time or at least I don't find the time uh, to... Um, uh, to read as much as I would like uh, for leisure purposes um, because there's so much work-related material that I have to find the time to read. But uh, if, uh, if I did have the time, I, I definitely would uh, be reading more books about, about history. Yeah, I'd say you're flat out, especially having seven kids and commuting up from Cork. I'd say you're super busy. Um, i say there is a lot of reading in the job. There is one thing I want to ask you is because you are so busy and you don't have time to you know, be out canvassing as much as other politicians will be, maybe some younger politicians. You don't have time to be going to all the meetings and all the events. So you do make time for certain events because you've been re-elected for the past 10, 10 odd years. Um, what, are, what, what events do you go to uh, and what events don't you go to? That's a, a really good question. You know, uh, I've been a minister for almost uh, 16 months now but I would have served a long apprenticeship uh, as a TD since 2007. And I was the finance spokesperson for Fianna Fáil for nine years. 
for example. So it was still a big uh, transition for me to, to go from being an opposition spokesperson to being a government minister. And of course, that coincided then with uh, the pandemic and the job was even more intense because as soon as I came into office, we were straight into the preparation of a July stimulus, which involved over, over 5 billion euro uh, in a package. And I would make the point as well in relation to events locally in that the, the last year and a half or so hasn't been normal because you know many of those events simply have not been uh, on. They haven't taken place because of public health restrictions. So I haven't really had a prolonged period yet where I've had to manage the, the national responsibilities as a minister and also the need to, you know, turn up to a lot of things locally because, you know, from the vast majority of, of the time since becoming a minister, um, you know, when I would go home on a Thursday or a Friday, there wouldn't be events to go to because they simply haven't been happening. Uh, and so my time has been, you know, with my family out and about in the constituency, yes, but but not really having to, to turn up to, to events in the community or indeed party events and so on, which, you know, I do enjoy, um, but they, they just haven't been happening in the last year and a half. So I, in some ways, the, the really difficult juggling act probably uh, hasn't yet uh, materialised, but... Um, it, it may well do now in the months ahead, depending on you know the trajectory of the virus and uh, and the type of restrictions that we're going to have to uh, to endure over the period ahead. So I've done my best, but look, there are so many hours in the day. You can't do everything when you are a TD who uh, has to travel and stay overnight to attend Leinster House and to attend government. Then you are away from home at least three days in the week, four days, uh, some weeks, and then when you get home. You know, you've got responsibilities, you've got uh, family that uh, that need time and need support. And they all, you know, the kids are, are young and they're involved in lots of activities. And I do my best to, to balance all of that because uh, I get my enjoyment and my, my downtime and my uh, relaxation through them. Um, typically standing on the sidelines, supporting them at their their matches and their sporting activities. So it is hard to get personal time, but look, I, uh, I love the job I do. Uh, and when, I, when I'm when i not doing that job, uh, more than happy and delighted to, to spend as much time as I can, of course, with my family. And uh, over the months ahead, the challenge will probably grow as constituency events and activities uh, start to uh, pick up again. And how about before COVID, while you were just a TD? Because um, I imagine there was a juggling act going on there. And there are certain events you have to say no to. Uh, what would what would factor in into a decision whether to go to an event or do an interview like this or not? Well, I, I would do uh, as much uh, as I can. And you know, politics is a very demanding lifestyle. You have to give it your all, and you have to be really committed to it. And there isn't really any room for for halfway house if I wasn't fully committed and if I didn't work really hard then I wouldn't have been elected um, on a number of occasions and some of those elections have not been easy so you just have to take each event uh, as it comes and you either have the time to do it or you try to avoid is you know just turning up for a few minutes and, and slipping away again I like to try and give something my time properly and give it my attention uh, I, 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 I hate being late so I'm I'm a sticker for time. I like to be on time if at all possible. And I don't like to keep people waiting. So um, you just do your best to, to to balance all of the different responsibilities that you have 
and uh, you know obviously some events are more important than others but um, you just have to take each one as you uh, as you find it and how many hours so you say just basically you have to work as hard as you can how many hours a week would that be as a TD um, outside of election time and then ramping up to the election so when I'm in Dublin for example I would certainly work until uh, 10 or 10 30 at night uh, in the office because you know the way I see it when when I'm away from home anyway I might as well get as much work done as I possibly can um, and then when I'm in the constituency uh, I would either be uh, in the office or out and about at meetings or events uh, certainly all day and uh, there may be some evening time events of course in the last year and a half or so they have been generally virtual I like to do those from home if I can because it, it's it's just easier and at least you're you're in the house and you can have some interaction with with um, with others in the house uh, rather than having to travel to events and look that has been in in a, in a strange way one of the consequences of uh, COVID has been less travel and um, you know we've all learned to do things differently we wouldn't have been having the interview this way I imagine two years ago uh, Harry so I think some of those changes are probably here to stay and some of them do bring benefits in that we do save time it's not the same as meeting somebody face to face but if it means we can get more done uh, then all the better so I haven't really added up the amount of hours that it would be over the course of a week um, certainly come election time or in the, the weeks of the months election time it's it's almost total you know your your downtime is extremely limited because you are working from early morning to, to late at night uh, canvassing and doing office work and then doing interviews media launches and so on so elections are particularly intense and tough and I, I enjoy uh, the part uh, that involves meeting people I like that um, but the amount of hours that has to go into it uh, and all of the commitments you have to try and fulfil, uh, I don't enjoy because elections are incredibly, incredibly demanding and tough. So, um, yeah, it would be a lot of hours a week. But, you know, lots of other people in life work really hard and, and put in long hours as well. So I'm certainly not complaining. It's a great privilege to have the job I have and uh, serving in the government of your country is a tremendous honour. There aren't that many people who've had that opportunity and uh, you never find me complaining about the amount of work um, that has to be put in because I'm delighted to have the opportunity to do it. And of course, you never know how long it will last. You know, politics is a, is a tough business. It's volatile and I think you have to try to enjoy it while you're here as well. And I do try to enjoy it uh, even though I do work really hard. Yeah, politics has always seemed to me like quite a, a punishing job. Even from like the workload is one thing, but the bloody, you know, being in the public eye is another thing. Um, do you yeah. think that? Do you think that maybe that's not the best thing for a democracy? If being a politician is such a, a quite a brutal job, like and kind of a bit of a thankless job in a way. Do you think like maybe they should be that should be changed? You know, maybe the the workload could be reduced somehow, or maybe they could be re remunerated better, paid more. Um, what do you think about that? Well, we have a, a multi-seat uh, style uh, constituency uh, set up in Ireland and it does make it highly competitive, you know. But on the, uh, on the plus side, it means that we are connected to our constituents and we do have a lot of interaction with them. And if we didn't have that, then we wouldn't be re-elected. So there, there are pros and cons. You know, it is competitive. It is tough. You are competing within your constituency 
with uh, other representatives and others who want to become uh, Oireachtas members. But, uh, it, you know, it keeps you on your game as well and make sure that you, uh, you stay on top of your brief. So uh, I, I'd, be, I'd be reluctant to make any significant changes. I, I do think that, you know, the, um, the role of social media has changed the nature of politics a lot in the last decade. I mean, when I was elected first, it wasn't really much of an issue and over the last number of years it has become one and we do get a lot of abuse online there's no point saying otherwise there isn't a politician in in the doll who hasn't got you know serious personal abuse uh, online and you have to have a thick skin in politics but at the end of the day we're all human and we all have families and it's not nice to have to read some of the stuff that we have to read about ourselves uh, online, you know, I have no problem with being held to account and being criticised for decisions and policy. That's all par for the course and it's it's um, an integral part of the job. I have no issue with any of that. Uh, but it can be difficult if you're trying to unwind on a Saturday night and you have a quick look at your, your Twitter feed or you look at, you look at your, your messenger and uh, some of the abuse is... is um, you know, really beyond beyond what could be considered acceptable. And uh, I think that that is a problem because it, it will, in my view, result in some people leaving politics and I think it will deter others from entering. And, you know, it is a very noble profession serving uh, the general public, being a, a representative of your community. It's a great honour and I'd love to see more mobility in and out of politics to see more people coming in, bringing life experience with them, perhaps, you know, later in life and so on. People with success under their belt or people who've had a tough life experience, bringing that experience to our political system. But invariably, you know, it's getting more and more difficult to attract high quality candidates and people who have been successful in life, who have choices, uh, are not choosing politics because they just think it's too intrusive too invasive on their personal life uh, and too demanding. And I think that is a problem we do need to reflect on to see how we can improve uh, the lifestyle and uh, the, the, the nature of politics. And it's, it's a difficult one. I don't have all the answers, but certainly I've seen a significant change in the last number of years um, that I have been in the doll. Yeah, and you mentioned family. And I imagine with a workload like that, you have to consciously make time for family, be it your mother, your your wife and your kids. Do you do that? Do you consciously schedule time for for to spend with your loved ones? Um, is it a conscious decision, or do you just find time when you can? Oh no, you have to you have to protect that space and the uh, the weekends for me, uh, you know, are about family and um, with with as many children as we have, it's it's very very active and and quite hectic as you can imagine, and um, you know. You can't even get to all their events, even if you're off, because they clash and so on. And lots of families have those challenges. So, um, you know, the uh, the WhatsApp groups uh, for all their activities are really busy and we have to try and schedule the weekend as best we can. And then, of course, work events will arise that, um, that interfere with that. And so you do have to be selective uh, when it comes to, to work events at the weekend in particular. And uh, that's something that, you know, it's just part of life because, you know, life will pass you by as well. And uh, family are only young once and they're only, they're only dependent on you as such and, and really value your time uh, for, for a certain period. So I am determined not to miss out on all of that because 
you, you do miss a lot uh, when you're away for a large part of the week uh, for work. And so when I am at home and uh, during weekend time in particular, I do, I do try to protect it as far as I can, but it's not always easy. Yeah, I'd say it's not easy. Now, I'd like to segue a bit on to elections. And specifically, there's a number of politicians, like we've all heard about them over the years. Well, you, have, I, you and I would have anyway, politicians who, you know, they go to every single door. They're, they're really out. Um, they're wor- working hard at canvassing and going to all the events and doing everything right. And they just don't get elected. And I'm yeah. wondering what separates someone like that? What are they doing wrong? Um, that's someone now like yourself or like many other politicians who maybe don't spend as much time canvassing but consistently get re-elected like what's setting them apart what have you seen that sets apart those two types of politicians I would look to be fair some of it is luck I mean you can do nothing wrong and still not get elected and you know when the tide is out uh, it's out and it's incredibly difficult to uh, to buck the trend and to hold the seat um, if there's a, a national swing that goes against your party, if you're a member of a party. Um, I did have that uh, experience in 2011. I managed to survive, thankfully, um, in, in the 2011 election when Fianna Fáil lost well over 50 seats. And I shared a constituency, as you know, with the party leader, Michal Martin, the, the, the now Taoiseach. And uh, so trying to take a second seat for the party in the constituency in that election Fianna Fáil, I think, nationally only got about 17.5% was the biggest political challenge uh, of my life, certainly the biggest electoral challenge. And uh, look, I worked incredibly hard, uh, but as you say, that's not always enough. Uh, thankfully for me, it was enough on that occasion. And, you know, the last election even uh, last year proved more difficult than I think many people would have expected uh, for Fianna Fáil and you know I took the fourth seat and uh, the final seat in the constituency and there were you know many who would have predicted I'd take the first or second seat so uh, I don't think I did anything wrong but it's just the, the, the swings and roundabouts of politics that you know there there's always a national swing when it's with you um, it's great when it's against you it, it could well cost you your seat through no fault of your own. So all you can do is control the controllables insofar as possible, work hard. That is an essential ingredient. Uh, Have a good team around you. You need to have a good office and good staff. And I'm lucky to have all of that. I'm very fortunate to have uh, a brother, Seamus, serving as a member of Cork County Council, who takes care of a huge amount of the the local work that arises. And um, having him there uh, by my side, uh, picking up the pieces at a local level, representing me on day-to-day bread and butter issues is absolutely invaluable. So there are lots of ingredients, but as I say, you could do everything right and still not get elected. So I'm very conscious of that. And we are seeing you know, increasingly now a higher and higher turnover from one election to the other. Uh, it's a volatile business and um, you, know, you just have to make the most of it while you're here and enjoy it and try to make a difference. And, and that's certainly the approach I adopt. And you mentioned your team, and I have interacted with your team, both as a TD and now as a minister, and sounds like a well-oiled machine. It's a good team. How do you put together a good team like that? You do it over time, and you do it through the relationships that you build. And you know, you need to have trust, and you need to be willing to delegate. And you know, that's um, something that when you become a minister, you simply have to do. Uh, you have to delegate a lot of 
day-to-day constituency work, which I still oversee. But when I was a backbench TD, I had more time to, to do more of it personally. So you just trust your team and uh, they know the standard that I expect in relation to following up on uh, issues that are brought to our attention and representations, and, you know, turnaround times and so on like that. So I, I continue to oversee all of that and I do uh, an amount of work myself. And uh, I am very fortunate to have um, the main staff that I have at a constituency level have been there now for a long number of years. So they have uh, great experience built up, uh, which is uh, really important. Uh, and then, of course, Seamus has been uh, a councillor now for over 14 years. And so there's not much he hasn't seen at a local level and he knows his way around the system. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's about um, identifying the right people, you know, investing in them, uh, trusting them and uh, being you know willing to delegate and give them the authority to get things done and um, I think that's that's really an important part in whatever walk of life you're in uh, in business or in politics uh, you need to be able to do that because you can't do it all yourself good answer and we'll finish off with this and um, because I know you're very busy today some people might know this but we're filming we're filming this on the Tuesday after this big cabinet meeting we're announcing the, the how restrictions are going to be eased etc and I'd say you're flat out so we'll finish off with this. Um, so what's, you're now a minister and you know a bunch of other ministers. What skills are important to have as a minister, skills that set apart the good ministers from the great ministers and skills that you wouldn't have actually known you needed until you got in the door? That's a really great question, Harry. I think that you have to have a plan. You have to have a vision and know what you want to achieve. You, know, you have to, in a sense, lift yourself out of the weeds because there will be lots of detail and you could get bogged down in the nitty gritty. And anyone who knows me uh, will know that I love detail and I love getting into, you know, issues uh, to a degree of depth um, where possible. But you do have to know where you want to bring uh, the overall work of the department. What are your key priorities in relation to legislation and reforms that you want uh, to leave as your mark in the department or in whatever area that you have responsibility for. And so I think I do have a clear sense of that for the period of time and that hopefully I will be here uh, in this department. But I think, you know, like other other walks of life, it is about um, just relationships, um, getting to know people, being respectful, you know, never giving up. Um, I often encounter people in the course of my work, uh, whether it be other ministers or, you know, people lobbying for something and we could have a completely different view of an issue um, but particularly when it comes to ministers uh, I have to find progress and I always just say to them look we'll stick at it we'll find a way uh, we, we will we will get through this and it could involve you know a number of layers we ask our officials to go off see where they can find common ground see then how we can uh, build on that and develop that further and ultimately we have to come to uh, a position and a settlement and when you are negotiating a budget, for example, which uh, I have just been through, as you know, and I had to uh, agree the budgets for 18 different government departments across 44, sorry, 45 different um, um, budget headings, you, you have to be good with people and you have to be resilient and you have to be willing to find a way and you have to just stick at it because when you have a budget to do, the date of the budget is set. There's going to be a budget. 
um, it must be done. And, you know, thankfully, in, in this year's budget, we had a framework that all of government had signed up to. And so that provided a, a very good overall anchor to the policy then that we were trying to implement. So I think those are the main ingredients. But I think someone becoming a senior minister, they, they just need to have clarity in their own mind as to what they want to achieve. Um, because your time will fly by and you just every day and every week need to try and move that agenda forward uh, all the time. And so, you know, I've got lots of different reform things that are on the way here that I want to get done in my time here. And uh, and then there 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 is all of the stuff that you have to do, such as, you know, uh, a budget and parliamentary accountability committee, uh, accountability to Oireachtas committees, attending parliamentary party meetings and so on. But you do just have to lift your head out, out of the detail at times and say, uh, am I bringing this ship overall in the right direction and that's what i try and do yeah the leader must give vision to his crew yeah yeah all right michael look we'll leave it there so thanks a million thank you very much harry really enjoyed the chat talk to you soon that's the episode hope you enjoyed it if you did enjoy it be sure to give me a rating and a follow on whatever platform you're listening to this on whether it be spotify or bloody like 100 other ones but yeah that would really help me start now if you have any recommendations or you'd like to follow along with this podcast and keep up to date with what's going on, the podcast I'm on my personal YouTube channel, you can find me on pretty much any social media. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. It's, um, if you go into the show notes of this, you'll find a link to my link tree that has about 10 links to all my socials. You'll find me at HasMedia. It's my name on everything. HasMedia or HasMedia.official. So yeah, I'm on TikTok even, so get on that. And yeah, see you later.